0: Welcome to the Redemption 10B Podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. On today's episode, Jim Mullins, Pastor of Theological and Vocational Formation at Redemption, is drawn by Wolvin Kirvish, Director of Mission Collectives and Communities, and Ministry Intern Tina Dare. They'll be discussing the implications for all of life that lie within the books of Exodus and Leviticus. In this two-part episode, they'll be talking about things like MMA, food, Praying with all your senses, technology, and God's heart for the most vulnerable. Let's listen in.
1: Hey everyone, this is Jim Mullins. I am the pastor of vocational and theological formation for Redemption Tempe, and we're here to do another podcast. In this podcast, we're going to focus on Leviticus and Exodus and the implications for all of life. But before we jump in, I want to introduce the people that I'm with. It's going to be me, Will, and Tina. Will and Tina, would you guys introduce yourselves and share, give us your name, your role at the church, and one interesting thing about yourself.
0: Uh, my name is Will Vakurvich. I am Director of Mission Collectives and Communities. And an interesting thing about myself, um, the only bone I've ever broken in my body is my pinky
1: Wow! Mm-hmm. So you're basically like Luke Cage. You're like a you're you're unbreakable except for your yeah. pinky.
0: Yeah, that's like my Achilles' heel is is my left pinky.
1: Yeah. So this is Will's first podcast. This is the first time you're on the podcast, right? Yep. Yep. One other thing you should know about him is that he doesn't pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, all of Yugoslavia would differ <laughs> with the pronunciation of his name, but that's okay. We'll let it slide. Tina, how about you?
2: Uh, my name is Tina. I'm on a ministry intern here at Redemption. do some work on the True Story Project.
1: And what's something interesting about yourself?
2: Sticking with the injury train. Um, a year ago yesterday, I tore my ACL doing the whip and nene. Mm-hmm. Seriously? Yep.
1: That's pretty incredible. <laughs> that's that's a story that um, that you probably won't want to tell a lot of people, but I'm glad you just told the whole church right now.
2: Yeah, yeah it's no big deal.
1: That's good. The one thing that's interesting about me, the little factoid that you might want to know is that when I was 10 years old, I was accidentally shot by my stepdad um, in the chest <laughs> with a shotgun <laughs> and it instantly made me the coolest kid in school.
0: Yeah. Still, you're still the coolest kid in the office because of that. Because of that.
1: Yep. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, I came back to school. I even had the shirt. With the little holes in it and everything. It was, it was a hunting accident. I was kind of wandering off to the side. And got shot by my stepdad. Oh, so, gosh. if you think you have issues with your step-parents, at least they never shot you. So, um, transitioning from being shot into talking about the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus. And the implications for all of life. Um, this book, both of these books, have so much to say And and so much to uh, inform us about about how we engage the whole of the world. We do this because we believe that all of life is all for Jesus, and Exodus and Leviticus certainly attest to that. So, before we look into specific things, what would you guys say are some just stepping back some some evidence if you were going to look in the in Exodus and Leviticus, for evidence that God cares about all of life, what would you say?
0: I think the detail um, of the laws that God gives in Leviticus, caring about um, everything from accurate weights and measurements to skin disease to um, relationships between family members uh, to God hearing oppressed people cry out, um, all of those are evidence that, you know, God does care about our personal relationship with him, but that, that care and concern extends just beyond that um, into into all of life.
1: Yeah, what, once you start looking at the book of Leviticus and it just talks about worship and how the sacrifices go, you might expect that this is what God cares about. He only cares about the, the worship of the community and the time when they're gathered and and doing the, the corporate acts of worship. But then when we get into the laws, it covers everything from em, economics to dermatology. And so uh, it's pretty incredible. Any other thoughts, Tina, about how we see this all of life vision apparent in these books of the Bible?
2: Yeah, I think oftentimes when I think about God's commandments and being obedient, it has to do with some sort of personal morality or something that seems really spiritual that I should be doing or thinking about or talking about but the laws in Leviticus are much more like a society would have that cares about justice and physical health and um, all the aspects that are, I think, nowadays not considered uh, spiritual, but, but are very much more just about the flourishing of a community.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think is most important about this project is that we're not just trying to get good at Bible bingo and acquire a bunch of knowledge so that we can seem like we know what we're talking about or that we're smart but we are really seeking to know our great god and worship jesus Mm -hmm. so just out of curiosity how has god been revealing himself to you and drawing you to himself as you've engaged in the true story project Mm
2: -hmm.
1: tina why don't we go with you
2: yeah um yeah i think i was just meditating on this with our RC last week. I've been in the same RC for five years. And one of our, I would say, maybe the best conversation we've ever had in that group was over the book of Leviticus. And it just really showed the faithfulness of God through his word as his people engage uh, together and seek to be faithful to um, God's revelation of himself. And I think in all the years of us trying to come up with strategies or or new video series or whatever it is, it's been really in um, just creating a community that is, is surrounded by, by his good story that has uh, just really shown a lot of fruit.
0: Hmm. How about you, Will? For me, the way throughout the story, God continues to press towards us. Um, you know, Thinking through Genesis and every, every character in Genesis has dirt on them, so to speak, and God continues to press towards them. Um, you know, through through the Exodus story, God is continually pressing towards His people, and then you know into Leviticus, even God understands the brokenness of the world, and even you know with the leprosy and, and these different things, God provides a way um, for His people to be close to Him, and God just continually pressing towards us has really been, uh, yeah, overwhelming in, in this story. It's so good um, as we read through and seeing seeing the sin in every character and. Also seeing that sin in my own life, um, not always in the same way, but that same, you know, wickedness in our hearts. And then seeing that despite that, God is still pressing towards us is is really humbling and encouraging and, um, yeah, hopeful.
1: Yeah. I think for me, the thing that stood out uh, in this reading is that it's really the grace of God uh, Mm. that enables obedience and that I, I think many of us, and I think myself included it for many years, assume that these laws in the Old Testament are, uh, it's a different way of approaching God, That that back in the Old Testament, it's all about doing good things and being perfect. And if you're perfect, then God will love you and he'll save you. But even in the Old Testament, it really is about God's grace mm-hmm. and about him coming to rescue us. Mm-hmm. Because really... Exodus and Leviticus should be read together. Exodus is the narrative of God delivering his people out of the slavery and bondage and oppression of Egypt and and making them this unique covenant people, not because of their own good works. I mean, they were grumbling people Mm who whined about the God who rescued them from slavery uh, and made idols and all sorts of things, but God extended his love to this people and rescued them and save them out of Egypt and really this is the, the the foretaste of what Jesus does in rescuing us out of the bondage of sin Satan and death and you notice that anytime that laws are pronounced in Exodus and Leviticus it's always come, they come after a reminder mm-hmm. of that God is the God who delivered you out of Egypt and rescued you and you can't obey without God first intervening and rescuing you and entering, bringing you into his covenant. And that's really what's what's dumbfounded me is that if I want to obey, if I want to live an ethical, right life, it's first acknowledging his grace and living out of his grace mm-hmm. than just finding a list of rules. Le- Leviticus isn't a list of rules. It's a list of rules that comes after Uh, This massive rescue mission that God is on. And so speaking of the the rescue mission, Jesus, you know, the Exodus points to Jesus. Leviticus points to Jesus. And for those of us who are reading the Old Testament in light of what Jesus has already done, it should show us some pretty incredible things about who he is. What are some things you've come to just adore and love about Jesus as you've engaged these books of the Bible?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think as I've read through Leviticus and really taken in the burden of um, our sin and how much the people had to go through to bring themselves back um, into that community, and really the the how our sin should really separate us from community and we should have to be set outside the camp and all of these things that just weigh this that are just this really heavy burden and realizing that their sin is the same as mine. Um, and just the the beautiful gift that it is that all I all I have to do is literally come before God with a contrite heart, and um, through Jesus I can just be restored to that relationship, and that it's this constant invitation, and that the requirements for those sacrifices has been met in Him, and that it wasn't it wasn't this this kind of like. Easy thing that Jesus just like snapped his fingers and it happened, but that He took on the heaviness of the burden of the curse and of all the sin of the world, and that and that you know, literally, the weight of all of that and and the physical abuse that He endured um, crushed Him, uh, and it was purely out of love for His world. And yeah, that's just uh, so extremely humbling, and it really makes me want to not only take my sin seriously, but draw before God and, and confess those things to Him.
1: How much you will.
0: I think, um, man, a couple things. Uh, the way that thinking of Leviticus specifically, uh, we were having a conversation about how when the people come come in contact with things that are unclean, that uncleanliness contaminates them, mm-hmm. and then in Jesus we see this flipped. And so through Jesus, he he touches the people who are unclean. He goes to the unclean places. And instead of that, the lack of cleanliness contaminating him, he absorbs it, hmm. and and actually not just uh, absorbs it, but his holiness is spread to the people, and so Jesus changes how we interact with the physical world. Our our cleanliness before God is not dependent upon those things anymore. Whether we touched a carcass or you know had a, a skin disease or, or any number of things that Leviticus mentions, but now it's like we are actually on the offensive where, because we have the spirit of Jesus, the spirit indwelling us, as we go out, we're following in those footsteps of Jesus to enter into the, the you know, quote unquote, unclean places in our culture, in our society. Um, you know, where hurting broken people are, where there's injustice, where there's oppression, where there's violence, and, and that it doesn't contaminate us, but rather we are the light, we are the salt um, that we're called to be. Um, because of what Jesus has done, that historic you know act that that climax in, in the in the biblical narrative where where Jesus changes everything, and I think that 's uh, incredibly empowering and compelling um, to live our faith out in all of life
1: and I think what stands out to me is seeing Jesus as the ultimate high priest, the, the New mm-hmm. Testament calls him. He's the high priest who brings us into the presence of God and Mm -hmm. advocates on our behalf. Mm -hmm. Then you see with the animal sacrifices, how, how there was this death, this blood that was poured out for the atonement of sins, knowing that Jesus is the ultimate lamb that was, was sacrificed on our behalf. When you see in Leviticus 16, the whole, the day of atonement and Mm -hmm. this, this idea of of the the scapegoat and they would bring the two goats and they would put their hands on one and and it would represent the sins of israel going on that one goat and then they would have it go wander out into into the wilderness and and it it was symbolic of carrying the sins away from them but also then the other one would die and would be the uh sacrifice of atonement um, I think that there's so much that points to it. Jesus is our true exodus. He's the mm-hmm. one who leads us uh, out of the, the slavery mm-hmm. uh, and the oppression of, of sin, <laughs> Satan, and death. Uh, on and on and on, you see that there were these these big symbolic things. That were present in the Old Testament that they probably wouldn't have even understood the depths and the layers of the symbolism until looking back hmm. at this the rest of the story through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. So let's let's talk about let's talk about all of life stuff. We we think it's really important to reflect on things like technology and and, and sports and economics and um, and God's heart for for work and rest and all of those sorts of things. And so I want to get into some of those today. Um, and before I do, I just want to throw a crazy question out there. Um, if you, Will, this one goes for you, all right? <laughs> okay. Will, if you don't know anything about Will, Will is like, his mind is essentially a Rolodex of 90s hip-hop music at all times. <laughs> and so I'm going to ask, if you were going to give like one song for the soundtrack of Leviticus, what would it be? Wow. Tina, you can chime in That's on this too. That's
2: a good question.
0: If, if you can think of it. So I can give the song and the explanation? Yeah, of course. Okay, so... But you have to sing it. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> um, it would be, uh It would be Wu-Tang. Uh, cash rules, everything around me, and the reason why is because in the book of Leviticus, God was concerned with everything around the nation of Israel. Ooh, right. So for nice. Wu Tang, it's it's that money, that profit, you know, and 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 the the comfort and possessions that money could buy was of mm-hmm. utmost importance. But in Leviticus, God is showing that actually instead of cashing everything. Um, God's character character rules everything around them from their skin, their relationships with each other, the way they um, conduct business, mm. the way they interact with the nations, the way they harvest. All of those things. Um, yeah, nice.
1: Mm-hmm. I like yeah. it. Can you think of anything?
0: Tina? I have
2: one too. Yeah. Okay, let's hear it. I, I'm gonna say "Waterfalls" by TLC. It's oh, like, <laughs> nice. I think in that song is there's this tender protection of you know these things that you're chasing after are harmful to you and you know, there's this desire to want to wanna protect people from going down those roads and the destructive nature of those. So when when we see all of these don'ts and all these laws uh, throughout Leviticus, I see God's tender care protecting his people against the destruction of sin um, that takes root in communities and, and among individuals.
1: Wow, that's really good. That is really good. I have none because I forget every song <laughs> the moment after I listen to it. So just... To dive into this conversation, I think one of the key passages that we all need to be familiar with in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 19, um, is this passage right here, which is known as sort of a a, a hinge of this book, like a key part of this book that makes sense of the whole book. Hmm. And and it says this in verse uh, 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession mm. among all peoples, for the all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the people of Israel. And what's crucial here is that it's saying very clearly that God redeemed and rescued this people, Mm -hmm. this random, obscure, little, tiny, enslaved group of people, and is turning them into a great nation, fulfilling the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 to, to, to bless all the nations through the family of Abraham. But he's doing it not just so that they could focus on themselves and just have this tiny little community that only cares about themselves, but he's making a... A unique people that are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and a kingdom of priests priests are the people who intercede and and go and on behalf of of a people and it's basically saying that god's people are to be the 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 intermediaries between the nations and God and to show the nations what the God what God is like and to be mm-hmm. a distinct people we see that throughout Leviticus to this remembrance of that the reason why these people are to be so holy mm-hmm. is because God is showing what he is like to the nations through this community mm-hmm. called Israel so I just want to do I didn't tell you guys about this we haven't prepared for this um uh I want to throw a little rapid fire around um basically i want to ask what does it look like to be a distinct people and then i'll fill, i'll give you a topic okay mm-hmm. okay so let's start first what does it look like for us as god's people to be a distinct people when it comes to technology
2: mm. Ooh. i'll start us with this one <laughs> I think it's really easy in our culture to make um, science and advancement, progress, and technology are sort of the tenets of the last couple hundred years of modernism and, and sort of this idol of promise that it would, it would be our savior in a lot of ways and that it would get us where we need to go. Um, and we see the pervasiveness of technology and I think it's really easy for me. I naturally want to criticize that and push back against it and see just the, the brokenness there. The fact that we would put people's lives at risk um, to, to be on social media and to text while we're driving, and I'm totally guilty of this, is, is a really scary thought that, that my heart is that kind of um, captivated by it. It, it's scary to me um, but then I'm reminded when I think about the whole biblical story starting in creation and looking toward restoration is this the truth that there is created and intrinsic goodness um, in these things and and the more power that something has, the more potential for goodness because brokenness only draws upon the power of the created goodness. And so it just reminds me to constantly, rather than just want to criticize it and push back against the idol that's there, the potential, um, corruption is recognize and have an imagination to cultivate that goodness, um, for the glory of God and for the love of my neighbor.
0: So, uh, true story this morning, uh, I'm leading a surge table, it's six thirty AM and we're having this conversation about how can we leverage the, the good things that God gives us for, um, the benefit of others. And one of the guys on my table tells me he's part of this group that's working with Facebook and Google and their search rhythm or search engine algorithms. I don't, you can tell I don't know all this stuff. <laughs> Basically, what they're doing is when somebody searches out an extremist group like um, ISIS, the KKK, whatever type of extremist hateful group there is, they will um, start having things pop up in their news feed. By groups of former extremists who have repented of that mm. and are now seeking reconciliation. So, if somebody is looking, is googling ISIS, then in their in their newsfeed, it's going to start popping up former, you know, um, people that were involved with ISIS who realize that you know, heading people isn't the best thing you can do with your life and mm. seeking restoration. Um, so, I, I think that there are there's there are a number of ways that we can leverage technology for the common good. It's just how much time in our day do we really spend thinking about the blessing that God gives us through the lens of how do I benefit others?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that's really good. And that and reminds me of something that Andy Crouch says. He has this, he kind of describes the four postures that Christians have tended to take towards culture um, he says, first is to condemn it, where you just say, oh, it's bad, it's evil. Mm-hmm. And we could really do that with technology. We can, mm-hmm. and, and you see people doing it. Uh, I mean, historically, you see the Amish communities and those sorts of things. But today, you see people just railing against things like the iPhone and yeah. computers and, and those sorts of things. Um, so you can condemn it, or you can critique it. And we've seen many Christians writing philosophical papers about what is the worldview that comes behind these cultural texts like technology and really writing these scholarly uh, critiquing, Hmm. uh, you know, assessments of what technology is doing. So we can write articles about it, essentially, or blog posts or... To the lesser academic of us, make (laughs) Facebook posts about it. Um, So you can condemn it. You can critique it. um, You can also copy it. Now, we've seen this happen with a lot of culture and Christians. uh, Instead of making a YouTube, you make a God Tube. Or (laughs) instead of making like... Actually, true story, when I was a football player in high school, I had someone on my football team come up to me and say hey, man, if you like the Wu-Tang Clan, you will love DC Talk. And he gave me a DC Talk CD. Which
0: is false, by the way. That's not true.
1: That's true. That's true. So I really like the Wu-Tang Clan. And then they gave me this Christian album. And I I was like, what is wrong with Christians? Um, But, you know, we can copy culture um, and, and just make a Christian version of whatever else the world's making. And then probably the most prevalent one today is consume. Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That we just aren't aren't critical about culture at all. We don't think about it. We just consume it and consume it as if it's another thing to make us happy and to satisfy us without much thought and reflection. Mm -hmm. And what Crouch says is he says all four of those things are bad postures towards culture. They can be good as occasional gestures Hmm. but if your posture is all one of the four of those it's going to be a wrong posture those things are are critiquing copying condemning and consuming those are things that you do occasionally towards certain things like it's good to consume things sometimes Um, it's good to to copy things like you don't need to make a new spoon
2: Um, you know, just
1: to make it to be different or anything, you can just copy the way people have made spoons. Um, sometimes things need to be condemned like, uh, sex trafficking. There's nothing about that that should be, you know, affirmed. It should be condemned. Um, but all of those are occasional gestures. Whereas what he would say, the posture that we're supposed to have, which is rooted in Genesis one and two and you know, echoed throughout the whole Bible is to create and cultivate for the good of our neighbor. Mm. So, um, it seems like that there's a huge opportunity with technology to, to ask the question, not how can I use this for myself, but how can I use this for the, the sake of my neighbor? Um, what about, let's just move on. Um, what about something like, Sports. What, what does it look like to be a distinct people in the way that we engage in sports?
2: Mm.
1: This is a tough one.
2: That is a tough one.
1: Will and I have a perpetual debate uh, going on about uh, UFC and martial arts and those things. We'll see if we wander into that discussion. Uh, but what what do you think, Tina? Tina?
2: I think um, sports has been, it's been really good to think on this question because I can quickly fall into the trap of, you know, nothing is is, uh, valid unless it produces something or creates something or is efficient. And there's this aspect of sports that, like, if I just go to the gym and play basketball for 30 minutes by myself because I'm not good enough to play with anyone else, like there, it doesn't produce anything, and and it's not very efficient use of my time when I think about all the things I have to do. But my heart just gets filled with the joy of the Lord in in the way that I can use my body to interact with um, with the world, and it's something that people do across the world and have done for centuries. And it's just this testament to the way that God has created us, and and it is sort of saying, you know, at my at my core, I am not a machine that produces, but I am someone who interacts with God's good world, um, and that is worshipful in and of itself.
1: Yeah. Will, should we have the debate, or should we postpone it for another podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, well, tell us tell us uh, where you see the creational goodness in something like UFC and martial arts.
0: Yeah. So... Uh, a long time ago and many pounds ago, um, I used to, I used to box and uh, for a while I, I hung out with a group of guys and we, we got into mixed martial arts and um, they were all they were all believers. One of the guys it, how it started was one of the guys was a youth pastor and his dream was to fight in an MMA fight. MMA is mixed martial arts. Not sure why or how, but that was his dream. And so he set some goals and wanted to do that. And <clears throat> so we just found a team of guys. One guy was a college wrestler. Um, a couple guys had done some various martial arts. I had boxed for a while and we all just kind of came together to help him train. And it was this really um, amazing time of, of fellowship where we were, there was a sense of competition. We would spar with each other. We would push each other. And we understood that if, if we love our friend and we want him to do well and in his fight, then I can't, I can't go easy on him. So I have to try my best because that's the most loving thing to do to prepare him. If he cares about me, then he has to try his best. In the midst of trying our best, we also realized that all of us had day jobs. None of us were going to be the next, you know, heavyweight champion. And so there was, there was, while um, we had to press ourselves to be our best, we also had to utilize restraint Mm -hmm. in that right we couldn't just knock each other out and then I couldn't show up to work as a teacher with like you know black eyes and (laughs) and bloody nose and all these things so there was this really it was really cool to see like we're trying to exercise dominion over each other with restraint in a way that builds each other up and Mm -hmm. it isn't tearing each other down nobody wanted to hurt anyone else but we did want to Create an environment where we could all grow and learn, and you know, physical benefits of exercise and all of those things. So the question Jim Mullins normally asks me is, "Can you lovingly punch your your neighbor in the face?" Yeah. Can my, you
1: love your neighbor and punch them in the face?
0: And my answer is yes, yes you can. Depending on the context and the motives of your heart, yes you can.
1: Okay, so let me phrase it a different way. Um, <laughs> can you love your neighbor? while trying to harm them for sport?
0: I don't think the intent is to cause lasting harm to them. The intent is to press them to get better. And the intent is to glorify God with with everything that we're doing. And so I think if if when the intention turns to... And we see this not only in MMA. When I played... Football in high school, the language of we're going to kill them, it's a war out there, and we're creating this, like, yeah, injure their quarterback. That's when it's not loving, right? When I'm intending to cause someone physical, lasting harm, um, you know, we're going to knock them out, right? Well, no, the goal is to score touchdowns, not knock out your opponent. Yeah. So in MMA, when the goal is to knock out your opponent, I think that you can carry those same principles and you see this. Guys leading up to a fight, they'll trash talk, you know, they'll do all this stuff. They fight, and at the end, 99% of the time, they're hugging each other, they're talking, they're inviting each other to come train at their training facilities so that they can get better. It really is, despite the one-on-one competition and the context of fighting, it really is a communal sport.
1: Sure, but some people could say pornography is a communal act, (laughs) and they could be friends after doing the act of pornography. But what if someone said that... That MMA, that mixed martial arts, um, is to physical strength
0: what pornography is to sex. I think if there were no rules in MMA and it could go as far as the evil in the human heart took it, then that could be an accurate comparison. But I think because there's restraint, so I can get somebody in in a submission hold called an arm bar where I'm extending their elbow to the point that they tap out. Yeah. If it was unrelented, I'm just gonna break someone's arm, sever their tendons, all of that. Then I would say yes, because that is just going. Pornography is going as far. There's no restraints on it, hmm. and so I think because there are there is there is restraint um, that it's not it's it's not. An, even, an accurate comparison. There's some nuances, differences there.
1: But there could be, like, boundaries and rules set up within, like, a pornography set. I'm pushing this analogy a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I don't have so, as
0: much so <laughs> experience with the pornography set as I do with MMA, so I'm not that, sure. That's a good thing. <laughs>
1: um, but, okay, so so, but then there are certain moves that you can do in MMA. Like, for instance, these moves where... These like chokeholds that are cutting off oxygen to your brain, mm-hmm. and that you know damage brain cells and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how can you damage the brain cells of an image bearer of God and love them at
0: the same time? So, <clears throat> having been put in those chokeholds, uh, you know when there's a chance that you can escape, mm-hmm. and when there's not. Mm-hmm. So, I think if we're viewing this only from the person who's applying the, the, the choke. Yeah. Um, it, there's two sides to the equation. There's also the pride and the ego of the person who's having the choke applied. And so it, it does come into a, a sense of pride where I will not tap out rather than realizing I've lost this competition. Mm-hmm. The way I can honor God now is is not pressing my body beyond the ways he's created it, hmm. but to, you know, forfeit this match, live to fight another day, so to speak. Hmm.
1: So would you say that there are evil and idolatrous things that are involved with UFC and MMA and those sorts of things?
0: I would say that there are evil and idolatrous things that are involved in in everything.
1: So what are the specific ones for?
0: Oh, I I think that there can, um, in in some people, typically the, um, well... Yeah, with some people, there can be the the glorification of you know the violence and aggression, like you talked about. Um, there, it is a, a sexualized culture with the ring girls, the objectification of women, um, walking around those types of things. Also, considering some of the um, um, the ways that athletes try to find advantages through performance enhancing drugs, trying to find ways to um, you know get around the the laws that are instituted there. Um, gambling, you know, that's involved in betting on the fights, those types of things.
1: So, uh, what would it look like for like, let's just engage the imagination. What would it look like for God's people to engage in, in something like that, but to do it in a distinct way that shows what our God is like to the rest of the world?
0: Yeah, I think there would be, um, uh, you know, obviously striving to excel, um, striving to glorify God with um, with their bodies, not engaging in some of the um, you know sexualized aspects of the, of the sport. Um, I think striving to you know be the best fighter that you can while respecting your opponent. Uh, I think also in in the lead up, the way that that fighters talk about their opponents um, can you know get get disrespectful and, and ugly at times. Um, one of the things, you know, it's interesting, the UFC has had to work really hard on on its image so that it um, can actually be shown. There was a movement to, to outlaw it early in its history. And so there's, you know, there's a lot, There's there are fighters who have like shoved each other after the bell and they've been kicked out of the UFC. They have a pretty high expectation on um, the reputation of their fighters. There's been some guys, you know, that have made, Really poor choices, and they've paid financial and you know contract ending consequences. So, so there is you know definite um, right and wrong in, in aspects of good in the sport. Sure. Well, if anyone's going to convince me, it's going to be
1: you. <laughs> and I'm not quite convinced. But I'm getting there. You're getting me there.
2: This round, the official ruling is in, and Will is the, the winner here.
1: <laughs> well, Tina, you would say that Will is the winner, but I am actually the judge of whether <laughs> someone wins or not. Uh, and I didn't actually make my argument. I, I asked the question, so. um But you have thought through it well, and I think that that's good. You're not just consuming it. You're actively thinking about how to create and cultivate within it. So Tina, what does it look like for Christians to be a distinct display people that shows what God is like when it comes to food I mean you work in the hospitality industry talk to us about food a bit
2: yeah this is this is a really a really good one that we could talk about for a long time um, I think we have to start with with Genesis 1 and 2, and see that God, one of the best gifts that he gives to human beings is food, not just in so that he provided um, for our survival, but that he gave us just incredible diversity with taste and color and um, our ability to imagine the ways that food can be put together uh, that is just so pleasing. Um, And not to mention the the act of sharing a meal together Mm -hmm. and then we go into Leviticus and the sacrifices that are made to God are actually God inviting his people to share a meal with him. Um, and he, he asks his people to submit the finest meat, and, and there's this filet mignon put on the altar and, um, then the people are actually called to share in that afterwards. And so there's this, um, Food sustains us and reminds us of our creatureliness and the gifts that God has given, but also gives us an opportunity to cultivate and create um, and create community around that. And working in the hospitality industry, um, that's something that I've seen uh, time and time again of just the opportunity there. And then also when we move into Genesis 3 and we see brokenness, one of the curses is actually surrounded around working the land and how there will be brokenness and strife um, now as we do this really good work of cultivating the earth. Um, and I see that a little bit, I think, now and in my industry with the, the really fractured nature of food um, and how far away we are from the land, if you will. So I, I have someone sit down, you know, and I'm taking care of them and I take their order and it's so quick for them sometimes to criticize or, or you know, to, to take, you know, judgments on, on the food that's put before them when dozens upon dozens of people's good and, and really faithful work has brought this food before them, and they just come as this consumer um, and are quick to really judge it without ever getting their hands in the soil or or really seeing the work that's done by the farmers and the people transporting the food and the chefs uh, that showed up at 6 a.m. to start prepping and creating this food. So um, I, I think I see I see the complexity there of, of both the really good and beautiful things and the broken things.
1: Hmm. One example of that that I love is that there's a guy from our church uh, named Joe Johnston. Mm. And he is really showing what it's like to be a distinct people that shows what God is like mm. and what he cares about through what he's doing with food. Yeah. He took his family farm and he knew that the, the suburbs were coming and that it was going to be developed. Mm-hmm. But he developed this whole housing community with the, the way that it was designed to promote neighborliness. And right in the middle of it is this incredible farm where they they care for the soil mm. and the quality of the food that comes out of it. They're, they're stewards of the soil. And um, the food that comes from that ground uh, supplies the restaurant, which is right there in that neighborhood. Mm. The neighborhood's called Agritopia. And it's available for those in the community uh, to buy, and so that you can see where your food's coming from, the good work that was put into it, and how God is delivering these nutrients that are sustaining mm-hmm. your life yeah. through the work of of farmers and cooks, and you can see that because you're getting closer to it. And I just think some mm-hmm. of the way that they've structured things uh, gives us a glimpse of of. What God is like, his generosity, uh, even the fact that good soil, yeah. good soil comes from the death of other plants, yeah. um, that that it, every time you eat something that's come from good soil, it's a testimony that in this world, yeah. death emerges or life emerges out of death and something has to die in order for life to come. And I mean, that, that's, that's echoing the gospel and yeah. everything.